Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. So this morning I get to uh, share on our part two of our series, our Ship Shape series. It wasn't a great message last week that Pastor Josh spoke. It was powerful. And he shared on uh, discipleship. And basically the theme that we're working with is this, with this ship shape idea, the kind of the, the context and, and the thing that, that we want everyone to understand is about when a boat, when a boat is ship shape, it doesn't have to fear. When a boat is kind of in disrepair, it's got some holes in it. There's, uh, you know, the ropes aren't good. The, there's some leaks and things are going on that's not put together right. It might go out on the sea and it doesn't take much to sink it. But when a ship is in ship shape, when it's strong, when it's been put together by a skilled craftsmen, you know, a big, solid ship. You know those ships, they can stand anything. And so that's the idea of this series is that when a boat is ship-shaped, things that would normally take it to the bottom of the sea won't shake it. And it still can maintain its destination, its path, and its calling. And in fact, a storm in the right circumstances might even propel it forward. And in the same way, what we want us as a church to understand in the same way that a, that a boat, when it's ship-shaped, doesn't need to fear the storms when we are ship-shaped. And we allow God to, to work in our lives and speak the things into us. When we build our life on Him, we don't need to fear the kind of things that would normally sink us. When we go through certain situations in life, that might normally result in fear, anxiety, depression, failure, that might normally hit us hard and wreck us. When we're in God, those things we don't have to fear, that they might take us to the bottom of the ocean. But instead, that maybe, maybe we could even still maintain our path to our destination, to our calling to what God has for us, even in the midst of a storm. Who believes that through God? That maybe that is possible, yeah? So that's what this series is about. Uh, this is the, uh, the verse that Josh spoke on. I'm going to speak on the same verse today. Uh, this is uh, Romans 12. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. But be, oh no, sorry. That's the wrong version. Uh, here we go. Take two. Romans 12 is still Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Place it before God. Is worship. 
Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Changed, strengthened, built up, renewed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you. He does, doesn't he? And he wants the best for you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. He makes us ship shape. So last week, uh, Josh was looking at discipleship and he asked God to transform the way we think. And this, way, this week, I'm asking God to transform the way we worship. The way we worship, like that verse said, our every day, our ins and outs, our going, our coming, our, our life, and, and focus God in it, keeping our eyes on him that we might be changed from the inside out. So what is worship? I remember the first time I went to Hillsong. I was 17, and I got there, and it was amazing. It was amazing. And, and this particular time, this is probably right, maybe around 95, 90, 94, something like that. And they had this guest speaker and his name was Ron Canoli. Man, he was a beautiful man. He was a big, solid uh, African-American worship leader. And he had vocal cords of velvet. You know what I'm saying? He's got vocal cords of velvet. There's a few of you out there with beautiful voices. And when he sung, man, it made the hairs kind of stick up on the back of my neck, you know, that little worship feeling you get. And I was just like, man, oh, this is awesome. You know, this is, this is good. This is good. And I just felt, I felt it, you know, I felt it. And so my first point I want to make about worship is, is worship has to sound impressive. It has to sound amazing. If we want to please God and move the heart of God, we have to be able to sing. Who can sing? It has to feel amazing. It's got to get the little tingle up your spine, otherwise it's not worship. That's not true. Worship has got nothing to do with our vocal cords. It's got to do with our heart. Who's glad that you don't have to sing to be able to worship? You don't have to sing to be able to worship. It's got nothing to do with our voice. It's got nothing to do with how we feel. It's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than a simple tingle up your spine. And many of us that are going through hard times know Worship isn't about feeling amazing all the time. That we can worship God 
in the hard times. So it's not about sounding good and it's not about feeling good. The second thing I really want to say about worship this morning is this. It's really important that we understand this. All right, here we go. God doesn't really want to help us, but worshipping really hard can convince him to go against his better judgment. Okay? It's important that we understand that God doesn't really want to help us. In fact, he's mostly sick of us. And he looks down and he thinks, oh, man, again. You want forgiveness again? But if we worship really hard, if we grit our teeth, if we look constipated, if we raise our hands, sometimes you can move the heart of God so that he'll actually go, okay, all right, oh, I guess I'll move again. Whew, there you go, another little, little moment for you. It's okay, I'll forgive you. No. God doesn't need to be convinced to move. God is not sick of us. He's not sick of us. God doesn't look down and need convincing. Worship's not about that. I've had that thought in my mind many times when things weren't going good and I thought, God, if you could just see me and if you could just move and I thought maybe the problem is I'm not worshipping hard enough and I'm obviously doing something wrong so I've got to push in to God. If we're going to have a breakthrough, I've got to push in. That's not what worship is. We don't have to try and convince God to move because he already moved. He moved when he breathed into your life when you were born. He moved 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross for our forgiveness. He's not waiting up in heaven thinking, I hope these guys get their act together, but he's here. He's here right now. And he loves you. He loves us. And he's inside us and he's moving around us. And he's partnering with us. So worship's not about sounding great. It's not about tingly feelings. It's not about trying to convince God to move. It's much deeper than that. In the Bible, there's the word worship is translated to, uh, in Hebrew, to shakar, shakar which literally means to bow, to get on your knee and bow. It means to honour. It means to lift up authority, to literally bow your head. There's a couple other words that kind of in the Bible are framed around the idea of worship. And uh, so we've got shaka, which means to bow. We've got minka, which means uh, like a gift. An offering. You know um, the story of the three wise men. And they brought those gifts to the baby Jesus. That's minka, an offering, a, a present, but it, it's more than just a present. It's like giving something of value to someone. 
to, to bless them, right? And the other thing that is mentioned around the idea of worship is this word ola, and that means uh, sacrifice. Sacrifice, where, but, but the word sacrifice in the context of worship is about uh, bringing something, and it has to cost its life to cover the sin of someone. This idea of worship in, the, in that context, like, like when Jesus gave his life for us as a sacrifice. That is Ola. And the first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 4, uh, verses 3 to 5. Let's have a look at it now. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So here in this first worship that's recorded in the Bible, we see these two things happening. We've got Cain bringing vegetables and fruit to God, and we've got Abel uh, bringing some, some lambs or something like that. And one type of worship God accepted and the other he rejected. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you might have brought a present to someone and you could tell they didn't really like it. Has anyone ever done that? Like, you know, you spent your time and effort and you get your hand it over and they go, yeah, you know. I remember when uh, Holly was 21, she, uh, she was, we, we were engaged, going to get married soon and it was her 21st birthday. There she is down the back. She was, she was 21 and I thought, oh, I want to get her something really special when I work so hard. I thought, what can it be? You know, like she was the love of my life. Presence not enough. So I thought, I oh, know, I'll write her a song. And this is back, you know, where computers, they'd only just been invented. And so anyway, I got this guitar player magazine. There was a CD on the front with like a, a virtual recording studio. And I didn't have a computer, but I went around to Lyle and Bronwyn's computer. And I said, can I use the computer? And we installed the software, the recording studio software on there. And then every week I'd go there and I'd, remember that, Bronwyn? Go there and like bring my guitar and I'd like write this song and play and, you know, delete. That's not good enough. Play again. And, and I created this song that I wrote for her. And I did the cover art and all that, taking photos of me. You know. and, and it came to her birthday and it was done. And I wrapped it up and I put this, uh, you know, uh, covered it with paper. And I knocked on the door on the morning of her birthday and I, I said, oh, happy birthday. And she, she's there, yeah. Hey. And I gave her the CD. And she looked at me and she said, you got me a CD. <laughs> You've just gone down a step. Everyone's like, what the hell? 
But don't judge her because you know what it was, you see. But she didn't know. She thought it's her 21st birthday. She'd been looking forward to this for like 21 years. The love of her life's about to marry her. He, he couldn't even bother to do anything but go down the corner store and get a 15-buck CD. That's what she thought. And she's like, she, she was disappointed. She was hurt. You got me a CD, she said. She actually said it. You, what? You got me a CD? And I, I don't really know what to say. She starts opening it and then, of course, she realised what it was. Oh, you wrote me a song and she was hugging me. I'm so sorry for being a jerk and all that. So it was okay. But that feeling, you know, if you've given something to someone and I was disappointed, that's what I, I wonder what was going on with with Cain and Abel in that situation. And, and Cain offers this thing to God and he's disap- he doesn't accept it. Why? Is it because God hates vegans? What's going on? Oh, God doesn't hate vegans. He doesn't hate vegans. He loves vegans. He loves meat eaters. We're his children. He loves us. So it's not because God hates vegans. Why did God reject uh, Cain's offering? We get some clues in Proverbs 21. This is important, right? If we're going to offer God things, if we're going to worship, we need to know what kind of worship is acceptable to God and what's not. Proverbs 21, 27 says, Sacrifice, the offering of the wicked, is an abomination, even more when he brings it, with evil intent. So there's something about a motivation of what you're bringing and why you're bringing it. Isaiah 1.13 says, bring no more vain offerings. See, what's going on here in this, in this situation is, is God saying to the Israelites, I'm sick of it. I don't want any more vain offerings, offerings that are about you and not about me. I don't want any more of that. In Proverbs, it's, it's saying that, I don't want offerings that have a bad motivation behind it. It doesn't interest me. Just There's no point even giving it. And that's what's going on with Caleb. There was, a, there was an agenda behind his offering. How do we know? Because he got angry. He got angry. You see, anger comes when we have a blocked goal. Right? That's what anger is. It's when we want something and we don't get it, we get angry. And so he wanted something out of it. When he brought that offering to God, he, he wanted something out of it. We don't know what he wanted. But maybe he thought, well, if I give this to God, then, then he's going to bless my next crop. Maybe he thought, if I give this to God, I'm going to look good. People are around me are going to think, well, that Cain guy, he's a good guy. You know, he honours God. He's, he's trustworthy. Look at the way he conducts his life. But there was an agenda in it. So when we worship, it's really important that we understand that, that worship isn't about us. It's not. That's horrible. God hates that. It's disgusting to him that we, we might worship God. Saying, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna worship you, but but I want you to bless my next week. I want you to 
to bless my business. God, I want you to do this and that, and that's why I'm going to. Do you know what I mean? I've been there. I've done that. I've thought, you know, I'll put 10 bucks in the offering more than I normally do because, you know, I've, I know that God will bless me if I do that. That's not the point. That's not worship. I'm going to raise my hands because if I don't raise my hands, those people in the back are going to think I'm not spiritual. That's, that's not worship. That's not worship. So my first point is worship isn't worship when there's an agenda. It's not worship. Worship is about God. It's about blessing Him. Second point, worship is placing ultimate worth in something. Worship is placing ultimate worth. The word worship in the English, it means worship. It means it literally means placing worth in something, but just not a bit of worth. True worship, the God kind of worship, is about placing every piece of value that we have in God. Recognizing who he is, what he is, and being real about that. And not just like a little bit of us, like worshiping with some sense of us, but totally. Uh, the Ten, Ten Commandments starts off by saying, Love the Lord your God. Lord your heart, soul, mind, strength. It involves our, our head knowledge. It involves our heart. It, it, does, it involves how we act. Worship, true worship is incomplete in the way that it involves us, our heart, our emotions, our will. It's about placing value on God in those areas. It's a little bit difficult to understand this, so I'll, I'll try to contextualize it with this story. Imagine, imagine you, you've got a family that, um, that has a bit of history. Imagine that you've got grandparents and great-grandparents and, and there's been things that have been passed down. One thing in particular, a ring. And as you're kind of going through your stuff, you, you, you're kind of looking through and you, you remember your, your, your grandma's ring. You kind of think, okay, well, I don't, it's always kind of been there. It's kind of been in the family. To be honest, you're not really sure where it completely came from. And it's there with the other rings and, and you acknowledge it and, it's, and you know it's kind of cool to have it, but it's just kind of there. And so one day you, you take this ring and you, you choose to get it valued. And you take that ring to, to a, a jeweler and you know how jewelers are. They get that little eye thing. And, the, and he's looking at the, the ring. But then something strange happens. He starts to get a little bit twitchy. And his heart, you can see his heart rate is increasing and he's kind of breathing a bit faster and he's fidgeting around and he's looking and he gets up and he gets on the computer and he Googles this and he looks back at the ring and he, he starts to go, oh, maybe... Maybe it could be it. And what he's noticing is that the jewel that's in this ring 
It's almost flawless. It's almost flawless. It's, it's of a quality that he's never seen before. There's no imperfections in it. And it's not a jewel, a small jewel either. It's quite large. But not just is the jewel of good quality, but the way it's cut. The way it's been cut is with a skill that, well, it's an ancient skill. It's a skill that has actually been forgotten. And he starts to explain to you the worth of this ring. It's worth more than your house. It's worth more than your car. And you see it in a different way. This ring has the power to transform your family's future. It has so much value. And the problem, I guess, well, let's put it this way. In Australia, most people, if you said, do you believe in God, probably 80% of the population would say, yeah, I believe there's a God. We can do the same. We can be like, yeah, I believe there's a God. But we kind of believe in God the same way that this family believed in this ring. They understood that it was an inheritance. They understood that it was part of what they had. But they didn't recognize its real value. And because they didn't recognize its real value, it didn't have any power to transform their family. And that's what we often do with God, is we fail to recognize his real value. And only when we recognize God's real value, only when we actually get it and embrace that and apply that to our lives, does he have the power to transform us. Remember at the start, fix your attention on God. And you'll be changed from the inside out. Only when we recognize his value do we really get transformed. So we kind of have a choice whether we kind of limp along in a mediocre life or we can live a transformed life, a transformed life in the knowledge of God and his value. And the difference is worship. It's worship, the act of putting value on God that makes the difference to a transforming life. So why should we worship God? Why? Because 
Why should we worship God? Most people think that the world is separated into kind of two groups of people, those that worship God and those that choose not to worship God. But that's not quite true. Because the thing is this, that we are all worshipping something. We're all worshipping something. And so worshipping God takes changing what you currently worship and placing it on him. Um, there's a book series and a, um, and a movie series about a young guy and his journey. And his name is Harry Potter. Some of you might have heard of Harry Potter. And so Harry Potter, he goes through all kinds of journeys and does lots of different things. But in the first book, The Philosopher's Stone, he's investigating, he's searching through his school. It's like this big castle. And he enters this room. It's a magical room. And in the, in the back of the room, there's this huge mirror. And as he goes up to this mirror, he's kind of looking in this mirror and he sees his reflection like normal. But because it's a magic mirror, he doesn't just see his reflection, but he sees his mum and his dad in the mirror. This is a big deal for Harry because his mum and his dad died when he was quite young. He never knew them. He doesn't remember them, only from photos. But as he gazes into that mirror, he sees them putting their arms around him. They're proud of him. And they're smiling at him. And it moved him so much. He thought, I've got to show someone else this. And so he goes and he finds his, his mate, his best friend, Ronald Weasley. Who loves Ronald Weasley? He's a beautiful young guy, so funny. It's a classic. And he grabs Ronald Weasley and he says, you've got to check this out. And he comes up to the, to the mirror and, and Ronald looks in the mirror and he, he starts to smile and he starts to laugh and he says, this is amazing, Harry. And he looks in there and he sees himself as the head prefect of the school. And all the students are clapping and cheering him and, and saying, Ronald, you're amazing. And then he, and he, then he says, oh, and I'm the school captain of the, of the sports team. And he's leading them to victory in the Quidditch game. And he's, he's just, everyone's clapping and cheering him. And, and this confused Harry because he's like, well, why? Why do I see something and Ronald sees something else? So he goes to Dumbledore and he says, he says, what's the... What's going on with this mirror? Dumbledore says, this mirror shows the deepest and most desperate desires of her heart. The mirror gives neither knowledge or truth, and men have wasted away in front of it or even gone mad. See, we all have... A deepest desire. We all have something that we think, if I could just have that, I'd be happy. 
if I could just have the approval of my parents. If I could just have the acceptance of my peers, then everything would be okay. If I could just have comfort, God, I just want an easy life. We all have something that we want. And and the way we tell what it is, is when we lose it, it, it messes us up. You know those days when it just feels like the bottom's falling out of your life and for some it might be a relationship breakdown. For others it might be financial pressure. You know those days. And that's the thing about worship. Worship is taking what we want most and placing it in God. It's about letting go of of that stuff that we think will make us happy and saying, God, I acknowledge that that's a big fat lie. The only thing that can actually make me happy is you. You're the only one that can't let me down. I want to put you before relationships. I want to put you before finance. I want to recognize your real value because you are worth more than all those things. And that is worship. It takes changing what we currently worship and placing our value in him. And only then do we get transformed. Quite often we worship God and we think we're not changing, but it's it's often because we're still wanting something else more than we're wanting God. But the moment we change, that transformation happens. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect, and we don't worship perfectly. But as we worship, He transforms us, and we get better at worshiping. And as we tend to spend time in His presence and saying, God, I don't want this first. I want you first. I give this to you. He starts to cause that stuff to fall off of us. Worshipping takes changing what you currently worship. My last point. We worship. When we worship, we become a little more like him. When we worship, we become a little more like him. So the thing about worship is God is asking us to place all this value on him, to put him first. Before I understood about it, I thought, God, yeah, that's fine for you. That's fine for you because you just sit up there in heaven taking all our praise and I've got to do the hard work here. And you just want us to worship you because, because you get something. It's, it's not about that. Worship's not about that. God wants us to worship Him. 
because it's good for us. Firstly, like I said, it's only him that's never going to let us down. He doesn't want to put our weight in something less than him because he is the best. But it's more than that because God doesn't just ask us to worship. He doesn't just ask us to put value on him. He wants us to do that so that we become like Him because He doesn't stand up in heaven worshipping Himself. He first demonstrated how to put value on someone else by putting it on you. He put it on you. He placed value on you. When He breathed His breath into your body, when you were born, He put His value on you. When he knitted you together in your mum's womb, he put his value on you. He placed his value on you. He said, you count. You matter. I have a plan for you. I have good things for you. He didn't make us to just go around our world tripping over things. He made us to know him and his grace and his beauty. And His majesty. He placed the stars in the sky because of us. And He put value on you. And He came to earth as a man. And He suffered and He died so that we could come back to Him when we walk away. He placed his value on you. He was worth his own life. He places his value on you. So God's not that guy up, upstairs saying, just I want you to put value on me. He's saying, I want you to do what I did for you. He's not hypocritical. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to recognize the value he places on you. Would you like to stand? We're going to worship in a minute. Jesus said in Matthew, I think Matthew chapter 7, he said, Don't build your house on the sand. He said, Build it on me. Because when the storms come, it's going to wash the house away, but nothing can wash me away. Nothing can wash my love away. So we're going to worship in a minute. It's an opportunity to say, Christ alone, cornerstone. When the storms come, God, I know you're going to hold on to me. We're going to worship by putting God first. Father, we just thank you for your value that you place on us. God, we thank you that you put the stars in the sky for us. You breathed breath into us. You died a, a, a horrible death for us so that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free. You've lifted us out of the miry clay. God, we know life's not perfect. We know storms are going to come, God, but we love you. We're going to love you through those storms, God. We're going to lift you up and we know that as, as we do, the things of this world are going to become strangely dim in the light of your wonder and grace. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that this is just the beginning. You're not finished yet. God, we thank you that we have a future and a hope in you. 
You're the most powerful, most amazing, most good thing in this world. We keep our eyes on you, God. We lift you up this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.